Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. I'm Ivy, the younger sister. And a short time I was in high school, my social anxiety was so bad that I decided that the best way to avoid being bullied or harassed by other people was to convince them all that I was a vampire. You know, in, in all the high schoolers' defense that probably believed you, you were extremely pale and you were kind of going through a goth thing at that time. And so you wore like this deep red lipstick that really just made you more pale. So you totally looked like a vampire at that point. So I feel like it could have been believable. Just saying. Yeah. Anyways. I also really wanted to be a vampire because I was super into the Anne Rice vampire novels. So that oh, was so that was my incentive. Be a vampire. Just I thought maybe if I pretended hard enough, I could make it happen. That's so true of so many things in mental health that we hope if we pretend hard enough, we just make it happen. Um, I am, I am, to get back on track, I am the older sister, Autumn. And uh, my fact of the day is that my social anxiety is such a thing. I am currently on drugs. Um, I, I actually went out, I did my once every six months socialization last night. I did karaoke at the bar, woot, woot, woot. And I have a lovely headache the next day. And if you think I overdid it, just be aware, I only had three drinks over a four-hour period. So it's not that. I just, it was the anxiety. And I am on the sumatriptan for my headache, which affects my serotonin. And it is fun. So we are going to see how this goes today. Yeah. In our last episode, I got this. In our last episode, we talked about social anxiety. And today we wanted to focus more on how to cope with social anxiety because it's all nice that we say, hey, this exists and that's great. But if you're struggling with it, you don't need to know it exists. It, it does. It's reality for you. What you do need to know and what you really need help with is how, how do you cope with it? What do you do? So that's our focus for today. Ivy, take it away. One of the first coping mechanisms that we want to talk about is one that we use all the time and it is our favorite one and that is planning ahead considering every social event or interaction to be like a secret mission where you are doing like a, a military strategy thing you got your map laid out across the table you got all your little pieces you're trying to chart things out and and, and figure out where all the people are going to be and where you're going to be at and and what the venue is going to be and what the activity is going to be. You've got all your little players on the board and you are one of many players. It's doing recon in advance. I am big into the recon. Big into, like if, if it's like a big thing, like an important like life thing, like if I'm doing a job interview, I'll like drive to the place the day before and like to know where it is and know where to park. And then I'll usually get there like 30 minutes to an hour early. And if possible, and it's not awkward, like I'll sit in the lobby just to kind of scope things out and see what people are like. But yeah, I'm big in recon. And if I can't go there, if there's been somebody else that's gone there, I will question them to death. I'll be like, okay, how big is the place? How many people are there? What's the temperature like? What kind of food do they serve? Do they have food that I can serve? Do you think I'll fit in? Should I wear this? Would that be what's appropriate to this location? I drive my boyfriend nuts because I ask him. And a lot of times when we do 
go somewhere new. <laughs> he hasn't been there before, but I'm still asking him the whole time. I'm like, what do you think we should do? And he's like, I don't fucking know. I haven't been there. And I'm just as socially awkward as you are. Why are you asking me? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause I am. Yeah. Uh, I can't even ask Calvin questions about things like that. Um, not because he is socially awkward, because Calvin is not socially awkward. But what does cause him anxiety in general is when people ask him too many questions. So since I can't ask him questions and I don't always have somebody to ask questions from, I try at least to set some reasonable expectations in advance, covering some basic things like setting expectations for how long I intend to be there. Instead of asking Calvin, when does the event end? When can we go home? I just tell him I can be there for about four hours. And if you want to stay longer, we will have to take separate cars. I am self-aware enough of my moods and everything that I have a pretty good sense of what I can handle for social interaction from day to day. And sometimes I'm in a great mood and I'm like, okay, well, we can go and we can stay until the bar closes because I'm doing well today. And then other times I'm like, I can be there for about an hour and that's it. So I keep tabs on how I'm feeling and what my mood is for that day and how overwhelmed I already am and decide whether or not it's even good for me to be there and how long I can be there and for what activities I can engage in. I'm not a big drinker, uh, and I have definitely learned that the harder I try to fit in with people by engaging in you know, drinking games and things like that, the worse it ends up being for me, because I'm not, I'm not great with alcohol, and I don't really enjoy it. Uh, I also don't play games. I do not like board games. I don't like games in general, really. It causes me a lot of anxiety if I know we're going to a party where games are going to be like the main activity. So setting up expectations can be really helpful for going into social situations or in choosing not to go into them at all. I think that's very, very true. For me, like the time expectation is really hard to set beforehand though, because in all honesty, anytime there's a social situation, I don't want to go. Like even when I want to go, I don't want to go. And so it's hard for me to estimate how long I'm going to be okay. And so I get into the situation and usually what happens, not always, is I am okay. And sometimes I even have some fun with it. And then all of a sudden, I don't. It, it's just done. Like <laughs> the first time Jake and I went out to the little local bar, and, and this is a tiny, tiny town. And so like the bar, usually there's like eight people there. Okay. And that's a lot of people for me, <laughs> just to let you know where I'm at. And so we went out together. And, you know, we were having fun and we played pool and I was like, this is cool. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I'm done. And so I was just like, okay, baby, I'm done. And I just got up and left. And I forgot about like paying. I forgot about, you know, getting my coat. I forgot about, you know, I guess you're supposed to, when there's only eight people in the bar, say goodnight or whatever. And I just left and was outside and I'm outside kind of annoyed because I'm like, well, where's Jake? I'm done. Why isn't he here? And then he shows up 10 minutes later and he's like, um, I kind of had to pay and also thanks because you were going to get it this time. And I'm like, oh, shit. So <laughs> time expectations are hard for me to do <laughs> because I don't know how long it's going to be. And then once I am done, I, I am done. I have learned to not just abandon Jake at the bar or to at least give him my card beforehand in case that happens again. Um, I definitely do set up a lot of expectations, I think, for for myself, though. Uh, and and for me, it's very much lowering the bar. Like I know a lot of people are 
shoot for the stars, but I'm not a shoot for the stars person. If I shoot for the stars and I land even an inch away from it, I've failed. And so for me, it's setting the expectations low. It's like, you know, you don't really have to talk to anybody and that's okay. As long as you're just there, as long as you're just present. And I set those expectations really low because I know I can meet them. And because I meet them, I feel I feel better about myself and I feel better about being there because I'm like, hey, I am here. I am with people. That's a big thing for me. And I did that. And because I did that, I'm like, hey, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can talk to somebody and then I'll say a quick comment here or I'll, you know, nod at somebody. <laughs> I know that seems ridiculous, but sometimes that's a lot for me. And so I, I set up a lot of expectations for myself. And I think I'm totally separate from Ivy on the activities though, because I love games. I love games because they provide a focus and they provide a script. If everybody's playing Monopoly, and I fucking hate Monopoly. I'm sorry for those of you that love Monopoly. I fucking hate it. It's the most boring, stupid game ever. But if we're all playing Monopoly, I know what's going on. We are playing Monopoly. And there is actually a printed set of rules that we are following for this social interaction. And it makes me so happy because I'm like, I know what's going on. This is the point at which I roll my dice. Ha ha. Now I make a comment about their boardwalk. Yes. Accomplished. It's amazing. I, I love games. So yeah, <laughs> I, I would say though, and, and you can tell probably uh, the substance support is one of my planning ahead things though, um, both after the fact, but before the fact, like I take skull cap or if i know it's going to be really hard i take some kava i love kava um do you do any substances before or after ivy or herbs i guess you would call them to help you yeah i the primary thing that i go to for supplements for dealing with my anxiety is gaba gaba for whatever reason there are tons of options for supplements and herbs that you can take for anxiety and everybody responds to different ones in different ways but I know for me, GABA is like the the gold standard. If I am feeling anxious at all, I take a couple of GABA capsules and within half an hour, it's like I never felt anxious at all. It's like I'll never feel anxious again. GABA is like amazing and wonderful for me. And I'm really appreciative of that because I do not want to have to be on medication of any kind. Uh, I'm not judgmental of anybody who does choose that route. I just have always wanted to avoid being on any sort of meds and I never wanted to be on anti-anxiety meds. So for me, GAP is awesome. I know a lot of my friends swear by, and I can never pronounce it right. Is it ashwagandha? Is that what it is, Autumn? I always call it ashwagandha. I don't know if I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I found if you pronounce anything confidently enough, most people will just agree with you. So we're going to say ashwagandha. Okay. Just go yes. A lot of the the people that I'm close to that have anxiety, that's the primary thing that they take, and it seems to work really well for them. I didn't have as as much benefit from it, so it's like supplements and things like that. It really is so variable from person to person. So you, if you want to try to use that as a a coping method you may have to play around with it for a bit before you find the right thing that that works for you but i love supplements and i love herbs because they are overall as long as you don't overdo it or you don't take something that's you know inherently dangerous like it can be a really good way for you to kind of mellow things out without having to be on like heavy duty psychiatric level medications 
And I, I would say definitely with the herbs and the supplements too, a lot of those, especially when you're talking herbs, unless you get some special constitutions that are like extracts, you know, specific to this, whatever, most herbs are going to leave your system in about three to four hours. A lot of times they just don't last long unless they are actually designed to do that. And so that is something to consider if you are going to use something like an herb to calm yourself beforehand, be aware of when it's going to leave your system. So if you're like, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be out of my system in about four hours or three hours. And you'll want to know this before you get into an anxiety provoking situation, take it with you so that you can kind of have that overlap with it. And I would also say kind of be aware of what amount you need. I would say anything you want to do with supplements like that, know what you want to do before the anxiety provoking situation, because otherwise you're going to get in it and you're going to take too much. And I did that initially with Skullcap because I was like, oh my God, I'm anxious. And so I took like the dose and I was like, okay, that wasn't enough. And so I took like another dose. And then I ended up taking like six times the dosage amount, which it was still safe. Um, I was talking with our master herbalist, but all of a sudden it hit me because it takes 30 minutes for the skull cap to hit me for whatever reason. And I went from ha 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 to just like almost drooling on myself because I had taken so much of it. And it just, like I said, that 30 minute mark, bam. And I feel like also some people are kind of like cats. And when, when I had a cat and we were talking about, you know, we need to give it a sedative. I think we were going to be traveling. The vet said, okay, if you give it the sedative, you need to give it to it 30 minutes to an hour beforehand. Because if you don't and you give it to it right when the anxiety situation is sparking up, the adrenal system actually kicks in and it burns the supplement out of your system because your metabolism kicks up and it's burning everything out really quickly and the adrenals just flood it out. So if you are using something, be aware of that too. Don't wait until you step into the bar or step into your in-laws dinner. You know, take it a little bit beforehand. Experiment with them before you get into the anxiety-provoking situation so you know what it's going to do. And also so you know the effects it has. Because some people are really susceptible to certain effects. And so you may think, oh, hey, I'm calmed down and that's great. But in all honesty, like if you're going for a job interview or you're going to dinner for the in-laws, you may not want to be that calm because then you may say things you regret later. And so you want to know how you're going to react to it. So you don't just show up at the in-laws and like, I don't know, start hitting on the uncle or something on accident because you're just out of it on whatever. So <laughs> I'm just going to throw that in about the supplements. I also want to talk about as we're, we're talking about supplements and using supplements or substances as support. Uh, what's really common for a lot of people is to use things like alcohol or weed or you know, things like that to, to help them in social situations because it does lower your inhibitions. People are generally more like relaxed on those things which is which is great and there is nothing inherently wrong with that there is nothing inherently wrong with going out and having a couple of beers just to take the edge off and to be able to interact you know more casually and comfortably with people just be careful about how you go about doing that because obviously there are there can be negative implications with that especially with alcohol you know short-term ramifications of getting too drunk and not realizing that you shouldn't be driving or long-term ramifications of potentially falling into pattern of alcoholism but even in the moment one of the things to be aware of 
kind of like how Autumn was talking about how she ended up taking way too much skullcap, people can have a tendency to do that with things like marijuana or alcohol too, where you are anxious and you're, or you're so just like, you know, you're, you're so agitated from the week. You're so frustrated. You just want to take the edge off. You just want to be chill. You want to be calm because you're all amped up and your goal is to calm down and you want to feel relaxed. Maybe you have a beer and you're like, well, that didn't do anything. And so you have another one. And before you know it, you've had like three or four and all of a sudden it hits you all of them at once. And that can really happen with weed. I've used both substances before and I have had to really learn how to moderate myself on that because honestly, I don't, I don't like the taste of alcohol. I don't like feeling out of control of my faculties. I just want to be able to take the edge off enough so that I can feel like I can talk to people at all. I have a drink, but I took it too quickly and I didn't feel it. So I was like, okay, well, I'll have another one. And then I'm four drinks in and it hits me all of a sudden. And now I'm totally out of it and I'm sick to my stomach and the whole night goes awry. If you are somebody that deals with anxiety and you want to try to use some sort of substance, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with having a couple of beers or, you know, taking a couple of, of puffs off a, off a joint or whatever, if that's, if it's legal where you live anyway, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But please be careful to not let your anxiety override your common sense, because those things generally don't hit you quickly, especially if you're like with alcohol, if you are drinking on a, on a full stomach, it's going to take longer to hit you than if you're drinking on an empty stomach. Always take those those factors into consideration. And I know you you can get in a rush to just be able to relax, but it is so important to moderate how you do it so that you can get to that level and not go overboard. I wish that I had been able to sit in my own discomfort but I didn't because I was in such a rush to relax so that I could feel like I could talk to people. So I could feel like I could connect. And I really screwed myself over multiple times. Most people at some point will probably go overboard, make themselves sick, make an ass of themselves in some ways. But I personally look back on those moments for myself with shame. And primarily I look at it because I could have done better with it. I just couldn't handle my own discomfort. And that's the part that's embarrassing to me is that I couldn't handle my own discomfort. And I went overboard because I was so anxious and I was so desperate to just feel calm enough to even interact with people that I made myself sick and I puked in front of people and I was completely out of it. And I would put myself in unsafe situations because of it. So if you are going to use any sort of substances, just be mindful of how you do it, moderate it, be smart about it. Don't get yourself into trouble. Don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. And with that, I'll just tack on to those warnings. Um, be careful what you mix. A, a lot of things that are for anxiety, whether that be prescription medication or herbal supplements, are sedative. They have sedative actions, as does alcohol, as does marijuana. And so when you start mixing sedatives, you can get into dangerous things because if you sedate your system enough, you can basically stop your lungs working or stop your heart beating. So just be aware of what the supplements are you're taking and mix appropriately. And I think with Ivy was saying about that safety, if you do know that, you know, you're at that stage where you do need quite a bit of alcohol to interact and that's just where you are. Well, plan ahead to have somebody safe with you, you know, both a a designated driver and b just somebody to keep you from getting raped in the bathroom for Pete's sake. 
that's part of planning ahead. You know, you know what your limitations are. You know what you need to be able to survive that situation. And if that might be another person that's like, hey, yeah, no, I'll drive you home. Or yeah, I've got you. I'll watch your drink. It's okay. I'll make sure you don't do anything really stupid. And another person, if that's something you have available to you, is, is a great idea for that. And I think on that safety note, I think that's the next biggest thing. So, you know, you planned ahead as much as you could. You did as much as you could to try and mediate the situation before you stepped in. And now you step into the room. Um, one of the very first things I do is I, I kind of create a safe space. And this can go across any any um, social situation, you know, this could be, like I said, the job interview, or this could be going to a bar, or this could be the dinner with the in-laws, or this could be a friend's party. But you can create a safe space for yourself. I mean, you may be limited in where you are. Like if it's a job interview, well, there's the chair in the office that you can sit in, so you may not have an option. But maybe you can move it a little bit so your back's not to the door. Or maybe you do have a choice of where to sit, and you can find a quieter corner or somewhere that's near the dog. Or even with that, it may, may just be mental, you know, having that safe space prepared mentally that you can be like, okay, if I get too overwhelmed here, I can just take a minute on the beach or in the cabin or whatever that safe space is mentally. Do you do that, Ivy? Do you create a safe space for you once you step into that? I generally float around the outskirts of the room anyway because that's where I feel safest I don't like being in the center of the room because that's usually where things are happening and it's not always like my physical safety that I'm concerned about like if I go to somebody's house party and they're friends of mine I'm generally going to trust that they're only going to have people there that are trustworthy but because I get really overstimulated and I'm already anxious in those social scenarios and all of this energy around me can make it so much worse, I do tend to stay on the, the perimeter of the room and avoid the center of the room because that's more helpful for me. I also spend a lot of time in bathrooms. Um, <laughs> And maybe that sounds weird, but generally the bathroom is one of the only places where you can go and have a little bit of peace, especially if you're like at a house party or something. That's not always the case if you're at a bar or someplace where there's, it's a bathroom with multiple stalls. But even then, even if it is like a public bathroom, sometimes just being able to go into a stall and just have that space to myself, even with all the noise and stuff around me, it still feels like, okay, I can at least breathe right now nothing is expected of me right now. I can at least take a break from things, but I'm always looking for places where I can take a break, whether that's a bathroom or a quiet corner or a room that nobody's in, or I go outside. I'm, I'm always looking for places where I can actually take a break and have more personal space. Cause that's really important. And I think that's, that's also just like an escape route period. And I know that sounds like, you know, knowing where all the exits are, but just the ability to get a few minutes peace. And in some social situations, you know, that's not really going to work very well. You know, if you have your heart set on this job and you need to leave in the middle of the interview, that's probably not going to go very well. But if you're just in a, I guess, a social situation, I would say, where you're out socializing, it's usually fine to step outside for a little bit. You know, even if you're at dinner with the in-laws, the bathroom's a great escape. You just, hey, excuse me a second, where's the bathroom? And then you just step away. As long as you're not in there for like 20 minutes and they think you're pooping because then it gets awkward. <laughs> but another thing I found is outside, especially if you're in a colder climate and it is cold, 
a lot of people don't like going outside unless if it's cold, unless they're the smokers. And even at that, they usually tend to hover around the doors. So if you are going to go somewhere, think about how you can get outside for a little bit. Maybe you forgot something in your car, or maybe you just bring a coat and you go for a walk in the backyard. And if it's 20 degrees, it's 20 degrees, but you're nice and warm and nobody else wants to be out there because it's so cold. But I think in escape places, yeah, definite must. And if you feel like you need to make an excuse to get outside, it's fine. Sometimes you just really need to take a break. Like I can handle staying in a social situation, like a party for longer, if I can routinely take breaks here and there. And if I really feel like uh, it's a situation that is hard to step away from, but I really need to, I'll just make something up. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, th that's so true. Because when you do start getting in an anxious situation, that anxiety tends to escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate. And if you don't get at least a couple minutes to bring it back down, you're just going to keep going up and up and up. And it'll be like that price is right game with the little yodel guy just falls off the end. So you got to give yourself a little time to work back down the mountain. And, and with that, I mean, there are you know, other things, like if you are one of those people pleasers and you're scared to leave the situation or whatever, see if there's something you can do. Um, if it is a dinner for the in-laws or something, ask to do the dishes. Say that you would really love to do that or find some sort of service thing that you could possibly do. Do they need a ice run or a liquor run? Maybe you're the person that volunteers for that. And those are all really valid. And if you are in a social situation where you're trying to be real or you're trying to be authentic, maybe try being honest, you know, open yourself up a little bit and be like, you know, I, I really like you guys and I'm sorry, but I, I get a little anxious in social situations. I just need to step away for a few minutes. You know, it's not you, it's me. And you can explain that really briefly and really flat. And yeah, you are putting yourself out there a little bit, but if you are in a situation where you're trying to make honest friends or you're trying to be your authentic self, maybe that's what you do. You open yourself up and admit that you have that anxiety and that's why you're leaving for a few minutes. And if anybody's like, oh, are you okay? Do you need somebody? Be like, no, I'm perfectly good. This is normal. I just need a couple minutes, get my breath, and then I'll be back in because I'm actually having a great time. And, and it's, it can be as simple as that. And most people will be understanding of that. I know that can seem daunting to put yourself out there like that, but you would be surprised by how understanding the average person is because regardless of how confident people may seem, not just in, in terms of social situations, but regardless of how confident a person may seem, no matter how well put together they seem to have their lives, almost everybody experiences anxiety in regards to something. That is an almost universal feeling that almost everybody can relate to. There are a few you know, exceptions to that rule, but most people have felt anxiety of some kind at some point in their life, and they can relate to that feeling enough to understand that even if they don't feel anxious about the same things that you do, they can understand the feeling of anxiety and the need to take a break or to get away from it. And one of the other things we talked about in planning ahead was bringing that other person potentially. And if you do have that option to bring another person, that other person can also be your safe space or your escape place, especially if they're social. If they're a very social person, they can kind of be the one that's your rock. And so when you do get overwhelmed, you can quite literally hide behind them sometimes if they're big enough or just lean on them. And especially if it's a romantic couple, 
a lot of people aren't going to look at that strangely at all. They're just going to be like, oh, it's so cute. They're so in love. And you can just kind of lay your head on their shoulder. And with that, you're you're actually helping balance yourself again, because if they're social and they're comfortable, their system is balanced. And by giving some of that physical contact with them, you're helping balance your own system. You're help slowing your heart rate. You're helping to slow your breathing rate. You're helping to, you know, put on those happy chemicals instead of those crazy chemicals that are coming out. And so if you have somebody else there, that social person can really help. And even if they're not super social, they can still be beneficial. I know my boyfriend is, he's not social. I wouldn't say he's definitely a loner. I, I'd say he's more outgoing than me, but that's not very hard to do. <laughs> and he's not usually comfortable in social situations, but he and I loop really well together and we help balance each other really well together. And so even though he's not super social, he is someplace I can go to and just like get a hug or grab his arm and just that little bit of physical contact will release some of those good hormones in my body, some of the oxytocin, and it'll help me kind of relax and get back into sync. And how does that work for you, Ivy? Because I know Calvin is like, like a social butterfly, isn't he? Calvin is amazing on so many levels. Um, I may be biased in that, but it is definitely one of the perks of being with him is that in social situations, I I do frequently hide behind him, but I also just kind of throw Calvin at people. When I get stressed out in a situation or I get pulled into a conversation and I start to freeze up, I literally just drag Calvin over sometimes, or I make an excuse to go to the bathroom. And then on my way back, I grab him and bring him over. And Calvin is one of those people that regardless of what is going on at any, any place where there's lots of people, he will just kind of like walk up to a group of people, hear what they're talking about. And then he just jumps in. I don't know how he does it. It amazes me. Um, it's, it's definitely a skill that I don't have, but it is one that I am still somewhat capable of taking advantage of. And I appreciate that he is willing to do that for me and he never has a problem with it. Uh, I don't even think he thinks about it because he's just, he's there to socialize. So it doesn't matter who he's socializing with. If I take him from one group and I move him to another group of people, he's fine with it because he's still socializing. He can change, he can change uh, subjects and everything very abruptly. And for me, it feels like casting a spell. I, uh, I remember when I was much younger, for those of you who play video games, if you, anybody who played Morrowind from the Elder Scrolls series, my favorite thing in that game was fireballs, making fireballs and throwing them. And so I would just like practice making fireballs all the time. And that's kind of what it feels like for me with Calvin and social situations. Like, oh, I'm in an awkward, uncomfortable spot. Let me cast a spell. Here's my fireball. And I send them in a gorgeous Asian man who's very socially adept. And then all of the pressure is relieved from me. And they get to have a good time and Calvin gets to have a good time and everybody wins and I get to play with the dog instead. It's, it's magical and beautiful. It's one of, one of the many perks of being with him. I, I, for whatever reason, I get this image of you um, lighting him on fire like one of those flaming arrows and then throwing him like a lawn dart, which is amusing because he's not a small man. So I'm just like, yes, you light him on fire and throw him like a lawn dart. And somehow this makes everybody happy too. <laughs> just, just, I don't know, this the image I have in my head. Maybe no, it's the sumatriptan, but it's, it's very interesting. No, I think uh, for me, the visualization that I have is more like casting this spell and I'm creating this fireball, but Calvin is like, he's, he's like this 
this gorgeous Asian dragon, like a fire dragon. He just moves into the situation and he takes it all over and everybody loves him. And he just, he just like takes up all the space in the room and he's so charismatic that I can just slink back into the, <laughs> into the corner and play with the dog <laughs> and just watch him work. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> and everybody loves him. So <laughs> that sounds, that sounds really nice, actually. <laughs> you know, on, on that point though, like there have been a few occasions where I've been with somebody like, like Jake, because he isn't very socially interactive. And I've actually been the more social one. This is usually like in a work setting. I've had the job for four or five years. And so I'm familiar with the people. And so it's like a Christmas party or something. And so he's with me. And in those cases, I tend to be the more social because I, I have something to talk about. We can both complain about the printer or whatever. We can connect over this work thing. And in those cases, for those of you out there that are the more social person and you are with someone that has social anxiety, you might check in with them and see if they kind of want a, a bone thrown their way. Because sometimes it's kind of nice where we can be like, oh, talking about whatever with the work person. And then I can be like, oh, Jake, yeah, like that one time. And I invite him into the conversation and I give him an opening to talk about it, you know, especially if it's something he knows about, you know, just kind of breaking that ice a little bit. Um, he's really into motorcycles. So if I knew somebody else at work was into motorcycles, I could kind of work the conversation that way and then pull him in. And that way he feels a little more comfortable because like, okay, yeah, I know about motorcycles. I can talk about this. I feel comfortable. And now he has the ability to have a social interaction and I didn't have to do a lot to go out of my way to do that. And then usually that's not going to be my role. Cause like I said, I'm kind of the socially backwards one but if you are the the more social one and you have that adeptness check in with your your more socially awkward or your socially anxious partner and be like hey do you do you want me to find ways to invite you in what can i do to help you in this situation going on from from that a bit it is so much easier sometimes to talk to one person than it is to try to interact with an entire group so one of the things that and, and Calvin has been kind of the the introduction that I've had to lots of other people, which has been helpful because prior to Calvin and I getting together, I didn't really have a social life here at, at all. I had like one person that I hung out with and not much else. So being with Calvin was able to introduce me to some other people. And then once I got introduced to those people, I was kind of able to pinpoint in the group from little bits and little bits and pieces of conversation here and there kind of floating around the room like what people i might actually have potential to have some sort of meaningful connection with and it can be so much easier to just find one person in that group and have a conversation with that one person rather than trying to engage in the entire group discussion because in those situations where there's lots of people and there's a lot going on one of the things that i noticed is that people tend to float in and out. They'll come into the group, they'll leave to go outside and smoke, or they'll go to get a drink at the bar, and then they get sidetracked and they talk to somebody else. People tend to float around quite a bit. So I would just look for opportunities, like the people I actually was interested in forming some sort of meaningful connection with, I would just wait until they didn't seem like they were occupied with a group discussion, and they were kind of on their own. And then I would just start a conversation with that person. Because in almost every setting, there's going to be at least one person that I feel more at ease with because there's just something about their personality or their their vibe that that feels calmer 
or feels more receptive to somebody who is a little awkward and kind of a wallflower like me. I find a lot of times for me, those are the other awkward wallflowers, though. So with my second spouse, I got drugged to parties a lot. You know, not like crazy things, but just, you know, gatherings at people's houses and stuff, which was overwhelming for me. And so I would usually be the one randomly sitting in the living room when everybody was doing the outside barbecue thing. Or, you know, I'd be the one outside when everybody was doing the inside dinner thing. And a lot of time I found I was not the only one. In, in that location. There was me, there was one or two other people. And it was usually a lot easier to talk with them because they were usually there for the same reason I was because they felt overwhelmed. And for some of those individuals, it wasn't necessarily that they were socially anxious. Some of them were just struggling at that time. You know, they'd recently had a loss or they were going through a breakup or something along those lines and it was just too much for them and they needed a minute. But they also kind of wanted to make a connection and share some of that load. And so I found talking with little wallflowers was a great thing. You know, so if you're sitting on the sidelines in the chair and you look over and there's one other dude sitting in the sidelines in the chair, maybe try having a conversation. I, I know it can be kind of hard because everybody nowadays just stares at their phone. But I, I know it's so stupid, but I actually come up with a few lines in my head or before I go to a situation that can start a conversation. Oh, how do you know these people? Something like that. It, it can be anything. But you start that little conversation. And if they're interested, a lot of times they will put down their phone and they'll be like, hey, yeah, I met him through blah, blah, blah. And if they're not, they'll just keep looking at their phone and maybe throw you a one off and you'll know, hey, you know, that's not what they want right now. And you can step back. But sometimes it is. And I found, like I said, a lot of times I've made some really meaningful interactions. And a lot of these people, either because they were struggling or because they were socially anxious like I was, they weren't good at the small tech either. And so we went from being strangers within 20 minutes. We were talking about real life shit, whether it was past trauma or the stuff that their girlfriend had put them through or the fact that their ex was, you know, trying to get their kid and they were heartbroken. And it seems crazy because people would come in and they'd be like, oh, my God, how do you do you guys know each other? Whatever, because it looks like we're like super, you know, intimate or know each other really well or great friends. It was just that neither of us were at a place where we were capable of dealing with the small stuff and we were both more than willing to deal with the big stuff. And so I made some really meaningful connections just talking with the other people that were avoiding everybody else. You can have some some really beautiful interactions and some beautiful epiphanies from that and a moment of real human connection, which in today's day and age really feels like a rare commodity sometimes. But in the event that you can't find anybody that you can really just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with and you're still feeling overwhelmed by the group dynamic, another way to cope with things is just looking for a distraction. I mean, most people's distraction now is their phone and I will admit I am just as guilty of using my phone all the time as the next person is, but there are other ways to distract yourself as well. Uh, if there's live music playing and you're at a bar, watch the band. You can be engaged in that way where you're there for that form of, of entertainment. If there is a pet around, if somebody has their, has their pet with them and or it's somebody's house and you know, they have a cat or whatever, interact with them. If you have an easier time talking to kids than you do to adults and there's kids at the house, 
by all means, talk to the kids. Like that's going to make the kid happy because somebody's interacting with them directly. And it's probably going to take the load off of their parents too, because parents very rarely get a break. So if you, if you are more comfortable talking to kids and they're there, that's a great way to, to interact. You're still contributing in some way to the group, but it's also a distraction for you from the anxiety that you might feel from talking to other adults. If there's, Food, food is always great. And food can be a great icebreaker for conversations too, because pretty much everybody loves food, if we're honest with ourselves. Also, it's impolite to talk with your mouth full. So you can just really be focused on, on numbing on your food. Chew slowly. That's a great way to deal with it too. There's so many things that you can use for distractions and so many things that you can use that are just unlikely to get you interrupted. And I would throw in, like, I am not a kid's person. I really don't like children. Most of my experience with children has been in the mental health industry, and they're all trying to bite your nipples off or spread poop on the wall. So not a <laughs> lot of good interactions with kids. But in, in the times that I have been drug over to friend friends' houses, I say friends because they were usually a spouse or somebody else's friends, I often ended up interacting with the kid because it was just easier. And the awesome thing about kids is usually if they live there, they got shit to do. I got to do puzzles. I got to color. It was great. So not only did I get to interact with the kid, but I also got, you know, activities I actually enjoy. So that was a thing. And then on that note of distraction, I mean, sometimes we talked about getting that escape place earlier. Sometimes those distractions can be an escape place. They can be what shuts it down. So a lot of people now know that like if you're on your phone and you just throw them a flippant comment to not keep pursuing it. So that is a valid way to escape. I mean, it is shutting other people out, but if that's what you need to do to feel safe, you can. I know, and this is kind of more on the the negative end of things. With my my first marriage, my my partner, he was in the military, and there were no officers leading this tiny little base at the time. And so he was actually in charge of the military police on this base while they were waiting for another officer to be transferred in. And as part of his duties, he had actually gotten invited to a meal for the upper general of the area. And this is like, you know, the royalty of the military. And as his spouse, I had to go. And I did not feel comfortable going. I did not want to go. I had to go. Well, during that time, I was in a psychology class and the paper I was writing was on self-harm. And so I went to the meal and I took my book on self-harm that was very graphically illustrated on the different cultural ways that people self-harm, including, you know, splitting your penis and cutting off things and random stuff like that. And I will admit that did shut off most people's conversations. There were a couple people that tried, but they just couldn't get past that. And, you know, that was probably not the best for his career. But it's what I needed to do to protect myself at the time. So not necessarily the most positive. But again, if you need that escape place, those distractions, they can be a big way to just be like, shut everybody else out for just a few minutes. Just remember, if you do it as drastically as I did, it's probably going to shut you out for the entire interaction because it's kind of hard to come back from, you know, detailed graphic self-harm into a normal conversation. So just going to put that out there. I don't see a problem with that at all. Like, why would that shut down interaction? <laughs> but moving on from, from that, another thing that you can do in a social situation is to play, play a part. I tend to be somebody that I want to avoid interaction for the most part. I want to be the wallflower. I want to not be noticed. I do take it more after our mom. Her thing was always that she wanted to come across as being mysterious 
her her favorite way to to describe herself was that still waters run deep and i think i've kind of taken that on a lot of it is just me being quiet and kind of aloof and some people think of it as intimidating and some people are drawn into it because they're like that seems interesting why don't you talk why don't you interact i want to know more about you but that's generally what i tend to go to and then if i actually do develop a connection to somebody from that situation and i see them outside of that situation i hang out with them in another context people are generally surprised because it's like oh i thought you were so quiet but like many introverts you actually get me one-on-one -on -one and I'm not fucking quiet at all. I actually talk a lot, probably way too much, possibly because I don't get social interaction overall. So I just store it all up inside, bottle it up and just wait for the right person to come along. And then I just pop the lid on that bottle and it all comes pouring out. And sometimes they like it and sometimes they don't. I give a, a false image at the start, but sometimes that false image is what I need to do. Because most of the time I go into social scenarios not anticipating I'm going to form any meaningful connection and not anticipating I'm going to want to. So for me, playing the still waters run deep card that my mom did works out pretty well. But I know Autumn has a, has a, different, uh, has a different approach, a different part she plays. Yeah, if, if I... If I actually want to or I actually have to socialize, I am typically going to be more often than not the center of attention, uh, especially if I'm not going to see anybody again. I'm going to be big. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be knocking things over. We talked last episode about the tea that I just threw into Ivy's vagina. Um, so if you didn't hear that, listen to the last episode. Um, but that's that's what I do. I just get <laughs> okay it was your laugh but it sounds better and that's what i'm saying like that's the kind of things you say outrageous things and then people are like oh my gosh so i could say i knocked tea over in my sister's lap or i could say i threw tea into her vagina and by saying i threw tea into her vagina everybody's now listening to me they're looking at me they're laughing with me and and i grab all that attention because that allows me to control the room and so that is the part i play because that's not I don't necessarily want to control the room. And a lot of times I don't even necessarily want to socially interact and I don't want to be the leader of the social situation, but it's a part I can play. The other part I play is the uh, knowledgeable professor, I guess. I, I find something that people know a little bit about that I know a little bit more and I become the authority. That, that one's kind of dangerous because I sound confident and so people will listen to me. But yeah, I end up tending to be the, the life of the party or the uh, the knowledgeable professor. Those are the parts I <laughs> I typically play. So you can you can do that. You can play a part, or you can forget what the fuck you were about to say. I immediately I looked at it and then I immediately forgot again. <laughs> you lost track because I kept talking about your vagina, and you're just still so focused on your vagina that you're just like I don't know. I like I don't. It's just yeah. I'm more focused on my vagina in this moment than I have been in weeks. I will admit it's very distracting. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so you can play a part, or you can find something that you are genuinely interested in that is likely to be a common interest with other people. So for me, one of those things has become football. It has not always been that because the home that we grew up in, our parents thought that there was absolutely 
nothing good about athletics. I thought it was a complete and total waste of time. As an adult, I look back on that now and it's like, no, it's just that neither of you were good at it. And so you treated it as though it was stupid because you felt insecure about it. But that's a story for another day. So I grew up with this attitude that sports were stupid. And then even when I got to a space later in life, after I had lots of friends and partners who were into sports, I still wasn't into it, but I was at least neutral about it and I didn't really care. But then I got together with Calvin and he is an obsessive Baltimore Ravens fan. And at first I just thought, okay, I'll learn a little bit at least about how the sport is played because the first year that we were together and we got together like right around the beginning of football season that year. And he talked about it all the time. And I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about because I'd never watched a game. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what any of the teams were. I didn't recognize the names of any of the players. So I thought, okay, I'll just learn a little bit about it so I can at least understand what he's talking about and have something to contribute to the conversation. And then the more that I started paying attention and the more I started watching games with him and stuff, I actually got into it. So now I am a football fan, much to my surprise. And I am a Ravens fan. Um, I do not give a shit that I live in Seattle. Sorry if you're a Seahawks fan, that is not my problem. But that has become something that is at least common ground for me to talk to other people about because so many people are football fans. Uh, and especially if the state that you live in has a football team. So I have been genuinely shocked by how many conversations I have been able to have with people that I would never have otherwise had just because I actually knew a few things about football. I, I knew that lots of people were into football. I did not realize how common that was and how easy it was to have a conversation with somebody when you know about football, because then it can lead to other conversations that don't have anything to do with football, but at least it's something to initiate with and it's something to start the conversation and it's still small talk. So like, that's how, I've been able to develop an interest that is at least relatively common enough that it can be a good way to start conversations. So that's that's one of the ways that you can deal with those social situations when you have anxiety is find something that you're interested in or develop an interest that there's some common appeal with. And if if sports is not your thing, try maybe pets. Pets is good. I miss having a pet, but I still like talking about pets. And I like looking at pictures of other people's pets. Send us pictures of your pets. We love pets. I love pets. I love pets so much. I I love talking about my pets. And I find that's a great way to connect to other people is, yeah, if they have a dog, you talk about your dog. You talk about their dog. Oh, my God, my dog does that. Oh, they do this. Oh, that's so cute. Ha, ha, ha. Or even, like, because I'm just obsessed with cute little dogs and cats and rabbits and whatever anyways, just obsessing about what that one's doing. They will say maybe not obsessing about their bowel movements because sometimes when my dogs or cats are sick I do get obsessed about their bowel movements and you probably don't want to bring that up like so my cat had a runny poop today it's been two days of runny poop like, maybe not that so maybe focus more on I I don't know I mean I feel like a, a fair number of people talk about their pets bowel movements their pets and their babies I mean, there, there are some situations in which talking about poop is really a great icebreaker. And I would say that most people would would at least rather hear about your pet's poop than about your poop. That, that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something. That's, that's, 
That's probably true. And actually, now that you say that, I've actually had like 30 minute long conversations about poop and the quality of poop at the dog park regarding their dog and my dog and just poop in general. So yeah, it, it gets kind of weird. So be prepared for that if you're going down that avenue. It's it's not all pretty bows and fancy fur. It, it kind of gets some it, it gets a little shitty, quite literally. No. <laughs> but, but, like when we were talking, like I said in the the last episode, I mean, it is one of those things that's like that's really universal. I mean, there are very few things like that. Like everybody dies, everybody eats, everybody poops. Like you can talk about food, but you're gonna run out of things to talk about. Nobody really wants to talk about death, but you could talk about poop because <laughs> everybody does it. <laughs> It is universal. So we're. this is going to be Ivy and I officially suggesting take an interest in poop. <laughs> Bring this up as often as you can in any social. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do it. Although I have, um, I have had a surprising number of conversations about poop because I am so interested in the effect that the microbiome has on mental health and how food and just like diet, nutrition, all those things, supplements, how that all can impact your, your mood, can help with anxiety, can help with depression. As so you get into conversations with people about microbiomes and then you start talking about fecal transplants and like there's tons of things that, that lead, lot, lots of conversations that lead to poop in a socially acceptable way, which is somewhat surprising to me since I am somebody who generally is very embarrassed talking about poop or acknowledging that I do it even though everybody does it. I try to pretend like I don't. That was honestly, going back to the vampire conversation from the very beginning of the episode, one of the main reasons I wanted so badly to be a vampire in the Anne Rice universe of vampires because they don't poop. And I was like, that's fucking magical. You just go through life without having to poop. You get to live forever and you don't have to poop. And then I got older and I was like, but I don't want to live forever, but it would still be nice to not have to poop. See, but now anyway. I get why, like I said in the last episode, talking about poop is this weird compulsion thing when I get under pressure in social situations, because we've just had a five minute small talk conversation <laughs> about poop. So I'm just saying, maybe this is a valid coping skill. Like if you're out there, just randomly bring up shit, you know, <laughs> just find a way where like, don't show pictures, don't actually take a poop in somebody's house plan, yeah. but you know, bring up the topic. Um, aside from that, though, um, other interests, they, they don't always have to be big and they can be even really common TV shows, movies, things like that. And one of the great things about a lot of interests like that, even with football or the TV shows and the movies, you, you don't have to talk to anybody about that. You can wear a shirt that has anime characters on it. You can bring a book that is by a popular author. You know, you can have a little wristband that has your football people on it. And that way, the more social people around you will strike up that conversation. So if you do find you have an interest or you're developing an interest in something, you can display that in some way on your clothing or on your person and, and get people talking to you about it. You know, if you're really into to video games and you love Halo or whatever, get a Halo shirt if you're going somewhere to a party. It, it might strike up a conversation and you don't have to be the one that starts that. I can guarantee you that will get people to talk to you that you would not otherwise be approached by. Wearing things or putting things on your car or whatever that indicate your interests can go a long way towards actually developing some, sometimes some real friendships too. Because especially if it's something that's kind of a niche thing that not a lot of people are interested in, the few people that are interested in it are usually really, really passionate about it. And they're just so excited to see somebody else who even knows what the fuck it is. Like some of my, my favorite animes, 
are ones that no one's ever heard of. And if somebody has heard of it before, I'm like, oh my God, you know that one? And then I get really excited. And I'm not even somebody who would normally initiate a conversation, but I will in that situation because it's unlikely I'm going to meet anybody else who's also into Inu X Boku SS. If you are, by all <laughs> means, reach out. This is an invite. <laughs> and I will say with that too, you sometimes get more perks than just a social interaction because there is actually, there's a lady that works at the uh, thrift store here in town. And I'm usually not the kind of person that talks during, you know, checkout interactions much, but she had um, Inuyasha shirt on. Inuyasha is pretty popular, but you know, I brought it up and I'm like, oh, you like Inuyasha? Are you into the manga or the anime? Because I know a little bit because Jake's into a lot of manga. And she's like, oh, I just love them both. It was so awesome. And then she got talking about how like she had like this whole series of DVDs and manga, but they got destroyed in like a storage unit fire or flood or something like that. And I was like, you know what? Uh, we actually have an entire DVD set of Inuyasha and it wasn't one that Jake had really liked. And I said, let me talk to my boyfriend and if he doesn't want it, we'll just give it to you. And so we had the entire Inuyasha series on DVD. And because of that one little shirt that I noticed and that one little interaction, she ended up with an entire free DVD set on it because we had it. We didn't like it. And, and I think on that too, kind of related to that is if you are developing an interest and you're able to strike up the conversation one of the best things you can do to keep that interaction going, because sometimes it's it's harder to maintain than it is to initiate, is allow the other person to teach you. Be a student of them. Don't necessarily venerate them and give them false respect or anything along those lines. But if they know more about it than you do, let them tell you. Let them teach. Because people love feeling like they're an authority. People love feeling like they know things. And so if you're just learning about football or you don't know much about the fantasy league or maybe you're just starting to talk or read a specific manga and the other person knows a lot, be interested and let them carry that conversation. Just ask a few questions. And if you actually are interested in that and are developing that interest, you'll get a lot of awesome information for free that you'll never know. Like I found that a lot, a lot, a lot with off-grid stuff. You know, it gets brought up randomly for this reason or that with people. And there's a lot of people that know way more than I do or have done something specific that I haven't done yet. And so I just asked them, I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And like, what size cistern would you use for that? Okay, so what if I have an 11 acre property? And I just, I basically squeeze them for information. And for me, it's like self-serving because now I have all this data I didn't have to go independently find. And they think it's really awesome because they feel like, oh, I'm an authority. And yeah, I, I feel good about myself. And I don't have to say anything. Those conversations usually, if they're 10 minutes long, I'm talking like one or two minutes of that. They're talking the whole rest of the time. And it's a good conversation. The other person gets their need met because they get to feel important. And I get my need met because I got information that I wanted to begin with. Did you still want to talk? Did you still want to talk about the weather? <laughs> Do you still want to talk about the weather? <laughs> you know, I feel like that's we should, it. We'll, just leave that. we'll just leave that in. Do you yes. still want to talk about the weather? <laughs> Yes, that is one of the things on our notes is like we were actually talking about different things that you could find a common interest with people. And we joked about the weather. And I actually said to Ivy, I was like, no, you joke about that. But that's freaking serious where I am. I I'm in Montana. 
On the eastern side, it's extremely rural. Obviously, you have to worry about snow and driving an hour just to get to the nearest town where you have a Walmart. So out here, the weather is really a common interest. So if you can find anything about, oh my gosh, there's been a crazy drought lately and you just keep going on it, you would be surprised how long a weather conversation can last out here. I don't know if it works in the city, but if you're in a rural area, especially if it's farm driven, weather can take you just as far as poop. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Although if you're in a farming community where there's lots of livestock, you could probably learn some really interesting things about animal poop. Just saying. <laughs> See, you just transfer over from weather to poop and you can talk all day. You can talk till the cows come home. Quite literally. So, and this is starting to feel like it's getting into desperation levels of things that you do in social situations when you feel anxious and awkward. So, I think we should should cover some bases of things that you can do if you're just if nothing else seems to be working and you just feel like you're you're desperate to do something to alleviate the awkward. I, I'm going to start out with just like throwing around buzzwords. You just throw out some words and see who responds to it. That is surprisingly, a surprisingly simple thing that works pretty, pretty well. What are some buzzwords in your area, Autumn, that you think would be useful? You share yours first and I'll share mine. <laughs> I just don't do buzzwords very good. I, my problem with buzzwords is I never really pay attention to what they are because they don't mean anything. And so when I do throw them out, I throw them out wrong. And so I'm like, yeah. We were working up a marketing diaphragm and then everybody looks at me because that wasn't what the buzzword was. So that's one I try to avoid even in my most desperate moments. I try not to do buzzwords because they're going to be wrong. And with my luck, even when I do get the buzzword right, I'm around somebody that knows what it means. And then they start lecturing me on like accounting and I'm like, oh God, I didn't want this conversation. <laughs> you know, I actually... I don't even mind it when somebody starts lecturing me on something like that because I'm like, oh, great, you're talking now. That means I don't have to. Because um, a lot of times the, the the words that I throw out are things I don't know much about, if at all, but I know most people around here do know things about it and are interested in it. So like, I am not a tech person. I hate tech. I really do. But I live in Seattle or near Seattle, everything is tech here. It's Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, like everybody's got a home base here. I am not a tech oriented person at all, but most people here are. I will admit that sometimes I throw around things that are somewhat controversial just because then it gets other people talking and then I can just fade into the background. Like I can just make one statement about like Jeff Bezos and then people get into arguments about whether Amazon is wonderful or the devil and I don't have to do anything. All I did was mention Jeff Bezos and it can be like something that's not even related to Amazon. I could just be like, did you all notice that Jeff Bezos has no hair? And then everybody just starts talking about Amazon. I don't know how it works, but it seems to. I guess I guess if I was going to, okay, on that example, if I wanted to start that out here, it would be bring up anything about guns. Yeah. So if you were to sense. say this particular thing is like, oh yeah, if you're looking for bear protection, a 45 is definitely the way to go. <laughs> that is going to start you a conversation <laughs> like nobody's business. And if you make any kind of opinion like that, you're going to start something. Oh yeah, they're going to, they're going to throw down. So guns, I guess I could throw, I just got to be careful because I can't remember the numbers and I'm constantly throwing out guns that Jake makes fun of me for that aren't existing. Like, yeah, I got a 43 at home. 
And, and he's like, that's not a thing. And I'm like, it's a number. You always call guns numbers. <laughs> it's not fair that this number is one and that number isn't. I mean, I could definitely throw out guns as a buzzword here too. You just get very different reactions from people than you do in Montana. Because most people here are all about that gun control. So, you, you know, sometimes the, the words that you use in rural communities are also the words that you use in uh, in metropolitan areas. You just get very different reactions to it. Well, I, I would say that people in Montana are very big into gun control in that, you know, you go to the range and you learn how to control your gun. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty much the same people thing. Have here. No, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite the same type of gun control, but yeah, you just throw out words, but be careful about what words you throw out. Cause sometimes you can really get yourself, get yourself in trouble there just with a, like, just don't open any, open any can of worms that you'll get sucked into. Like I, I would strongly suggest that nobody ever mention COVID again, mostly because I'm fucking tired of hearing about it from this point forward. It would be really awesome if we just never had to fucking hear about it again. Oh yeah. Yeah. You you do want to avoid anything that's that hot button topic if you're not willing to step in and say something about it. You know, the abortion, gun rights, COVID, vaccination, all those big political things. You're going to get a lot of heat out of any of those. So, yeah, definitely, definitely be careful what buzzwords you throw out, especially if you can't fade in the background. So if it's just you and the other person and you throw that buzzword out. Yeah, you're going to be dealing with that. But if it's like Ivy, where it's like there's six people and you can just go, Jeff Bezos, and then you wander into the background, <laughs> that's a totally different thing. You can just start some shit and watch it go down. Yeah, I that's I, I am constantly entertained by Calvin doing that because Calvin does that shit. He just like wanders into a conversation, starts some shit, and then he just wanders off and then everybody starts like arguing about it. I don't know what his thing is. I Sometimes I feel like he's like a cat where he's just like, I'm just going to come over here and knock this shit down just for shit and giggles <laughs> and I'm going to wander away. But yeah, some things are safe to go in and talk shit about and then some words are just not safe to bring up at all so if you are going to use buzzwords just be mindful of that like i can generally say tesla amazon and seahawks just just like fucking saying that word i don't even need to put a sentence to it I just wander in and just say that word and then people just start talking about it i don't know maybe because you know, i feel pressure to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> well the thing with that is yeah who's controlling the room now but um with that, even if you're not interested, like if you're just desperate to, I don't know, be occupied, you don't even have to pay attention to them. So let's say they go off talking about Tesla and you don't give a fuck or they're talking in detail about accounting practices and you don't care. You can feign interest. If you get somebody started on something they care enough about or know enough about, you don't have to say anything. Uh, Jake is an expert. My boyfriend is an expert at that. I don't know how he does it. I have seen him have hour-long conversations in which he has said nothing but, mm-hmm, oh, and nodded a lot. That was it. That was the entire input he put in the entire conversation. The person just kept talking to him, and he didn't say a goddamn word at all. He may have said, like, one thing at the beginning. He might have gone in and been like, Tesla. And then just, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. And that was it for the rest of the hour. Hey, I can do that. That's how I know the buzzword thing works. You just go up to somebody, you look them in the eyes, and just with a completely flat aff affect, you just say one word, and then that's all you have to do. Just it's be careful so what the one word is, though, because, like, again, you know, you can't just go up, look somebody straight in the eye, and be like, sodomy. 
You know, that's <laughs> yeah. going to be, yeah. it's just a whole different, I mean, maybe that is something you want to talk about. Maybe it is just like I said, be aware of what you're starting. Although you, when you do that, you never know how, um, saying something really outrageous might start a friendship. One of my, <laughs> one of my closest friends, I have been friends with him since I was 18. We worked at the jail together. We both got transferred back to the booking department the same day. I had never spoken to him before because I did not talk to coworkers. And he walked up to me, this person I'd never spoken to before in my life was barely aware that he existed. He walked up to me and goes, hey baby, can I have your number? Cause I lost my erection. And lucky for him, I did not take <laughs> sexual harassment. I just looked at him for a few seconds and then I burst out laughing because it was just so out of left field um, I would not suggest going into a conversation and saying that, but sometimes you can say something really outrageous and then you end up making a friend out of it because he and I have been friends for a very long time now. He's one of my oldest and dearest friends, but our entire our entire friendship was built on, can I have your number because I lost my erection? So you, you never know. You never know. Sometimes being weird works. <laughs> So I guess that would be another desperate strategy. Just throw out something crazy. Just go in with sodomy. Who knows? You never know. Just saying. I, I One of the other things Ivy said, like, is it, okay, if you're truly desperate and you want to start the conversation, you want to get an interaction, ask people about themselves. And I kind of want to hear more about this from Ivy because I suck at this. I always pick the one random horrible thing. They're like, uh, you know, like somebody's doing something. And I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful pendant. And they're like, oh, yeah belongs to my wife she just died and then they start crying <laughs> and i'm like okay i just wanted to make small talk in the checkout line and now i've got this poor old man crying and so i need to know how are you supposed to ask people about themselves in a way that doesn't result in nervous breakdowns uh, well i mean sometimes it really is just luck of the draw because you you can't always be certain that a question won't trigger people i don't know i just I learned that coping mechanism from my adopted dad, Dave, who is one of the most charming human beings I have ever met in my life. And he's so, like everybody just adores him and he comes across as very genuine and he is, he's a very genuine, kind, loving man. But I was always amazed at how comfortable he seemed in social situations and how at ease everybody felt with him. And I asked him about that once. I was like, how do you do that? And he said, it's the most simple thing in the world. All you do is just ask people about themselves because most people would love to have somebody just listen to them, talk about things that are important to them or talk about their lives or, you know, whatever. And he, he generally does go in with a compliment of some kind and I have tried to, to do that. I am much more awkward about it than he is. And some, sometimes it is just luck of the draw. Like some people are just not gonna be receptive or sometimes you just pick the wrong thing, like the pendant of somebody whose spouse just died. But in a lot of other scenarios, like it's, it works out well. You see somebody reading a book by an author that you recognize, you just go up and you ask them about that book. I'm just, there was somebody that approached me once in a coffee shop because I was reading a book and they kept looking over in my direction. And I was like, this is, I feel very uncomfortable right now. What do they want? And then the guy came up to me and he was like, I know this is going to sound weird, but that book looks really interesting. And I just want to know, is it good? Is it worth buying? And then I had like a 20 minute conversation with this guy about the book. Most people 
if you approach them with something that they're interested in or that you can compliment them on or whatever, it's usually a good way to start a conversation or at least make their day brighter. Like I try, even with my social anxiety, I try, I don't do it super often. I should do it more and make, you know, make myself sit with the discomfort because there are so many people that I see out in the world and I'm like, that person looks very confident or that person looks absolutely beautiful. They've done themselves up really well. You can tell they put a lot of effort into it. And that's like, I admire that about that person or I see somebody doing something amazing at work. And I'm like, I really admire that they're capable of doing that. So that's a great way to just start a conversation. Just go up to somebody and compliment something about them. Or if you see something that they're doing that you think you could benefit from, you just ask them about it. But sometimes you just are in a situation where there's pressure just to talk and you may not necessarily be interested. You can still ask them questions about themselves. One thing I am guilty of, I am reluctant to, uh, reluctant to say this in case anybody listens that I've had conversations with, but I have been guilty of being like, okay, I just need to start a conversation. And then I will ask them something about themselves or I'll ask them something about what they're doing. And then I don't listen to a single fucking thing that they say. I look at them, I nod. <laughs> <laughs> I, I affirm that they are speaking. I don't know what they're saying because my brain just trails off. I will even admit that sometimes this happens to me with, uh, with Calvin. I don't have to ask him anything because he just likes to talk. So he just starts talking about things and I will try to be actively engaged. I know nothing about cars. I am not a gearhead. He loves cars. He knows everything about every car that ever existed. He knows obscure like historical facts about cars. He just goes off on it. But I've realized over time that most of the time he doesn't actually need me to listen. He just wants to talk. And I feel like that is actually something that's much more common in people than any of us would like to admit, where we just want to be able to talk. So if you give somebody an opportunity to do so, and you at least feign interest, that's a lot of times that's all they need. Like they, they may not even care whether or not you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit to that one right there because in my in my intimate relationships, I am a talker. Like that's just how I think and that's how I process. So pretty much if it's in my head, it's falling out my face. I am going around prattling all day long. And when Jake and I first started up, he was getting so anxious and so much pressure because he was trying to focus and remember everything I said. And I literally had to be like, look, don't listen to me. If I need you to listen, I will address you directly and we will have a conversation. But 90% of what I'm saying has nothing to do with you and is not relevant to life. Don't, don't, even, don't even bother. But it's so funny, though, because he does still randomly listen. And then, like, I don't know, two days later, he throws something back at me that I was saying about salamanders. And I'm like, what? That was like my <laughs> private conversation. And he's like, you were having it at me. So I kind of assumed I could listen. With Calvin, I, I tend to go in and out with paying attention because it's not like I don't care at all. It's important to him and therefore it is important to me because he is important to me. But I cannot hold my attention for the entire time he talks about it because I, I, have, I have actually paid attention to the time before for how long he can go uninterrupted talking about cars. He once talked to me for five hours straight about cars and I... In, I, I gave almost no input at all. I think I asked him like three questions because I would like tune in and I'd hear something and I'm like, oh, that's randomly interesting. And then I would ask him about that. And then he would answer that question and go off on another tangent, branching off from that question and something that I couldn't remember and I wasn't particularly interested in. 
but yeah, it's it's surprisingly effective how a lot of people just, they just need to talk. They just want to get it out of their system. It doesn't really matter if you're listening, even if you're just pretending to listen. A lot of times people are happy with that, but sometimes they don't even need that. They just need permission to talk out loud to themselves. <laughs> you're just the person there to make them not look crazy. That's what you are. And that's fine. That's a good place to be. Because then if you didn't really want to interact to begin with and you're at a party, now that person gets to talk and you're not obligated to talk to anyone else because you're already filling a role. So it works. Win-win situation. I always like a win-win situation. <laughs> so, okay, we talked about a couple things and I, and I feel these were desperation measures, the playing a role of the being mysterious and the being an authority. And so I want to talk real quick on how to do that because a lot of people have told me, you know, you you seem like you know what you're talking about. And, you know, I'm like, oh, it's just an act. I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that. But yeah, you could. All you have to do to be an authority is you sound confident. You be just aggressive enough to look mildly intimidating. That usually involves like staring at them or large hand gestures by your face, if possible, and talking a little louder than necessary and just using statistics. And if you're going to use statistics, just pull them out of your ass. Doesn't matter. Don't use round numbers and make them specific. So. Here's an example of this. I can just go in and be like, you know, a recent study I read, 43% of people have actually injured their left hand when cutting fruits and vegetables at home. And this is actually a really big thing because they're looking at redesigning knives so that they have less injuries. What I just said was totally fucking made up. But if you listen to it, and I had brought this up in a conversation, you would think, oh, wow, we need to look at knives. And then you'd start thinking, oh, I've injured my left hand when using a knife. But I gave you a non-rounded statistic, which was 43%. I tied it into a very specific thing, you know, injuring your left hand. That's very specific. When cutting vegetables, which is something everybody knows about. And it's something that most people have probably done. I said it very confidently because I said it fast. I said it without stuttering. And I said it a little louder than needed. And I was very affirmative. And all of a sudden now I'm authority on what this government regulation organization is doing to redesign knives so that people don't injure their left hand. And this is all just made up bullshit. So this is how easy it is to be an authority. Just be specific. Don't use round statistics and sound like you know what you're talking about. That's it. That's all you got to do. So if you do want to be desperate and you want to be an authority, that's it. Now, as far as being mysterious, can you offer us some thoughts on how to be mysterious, Ivy, if you want to appear mysterious? I don't know how much I actually try to appear mysterious. I mostly am just really quiet and watch things and don't give much input. Or if I do, I give very vague answers to people's questions. I generally just try to avoid people will invite me to do things and I have, you know, like a, a split second conversation in my head about whether or not it's worth my time. And usually the answer is no. But if I do commit to something and then I get to that day and I'm like, I cannot. One of the things that I fall back on the most frequently that is surprisingly effective is just relying on other people's tendency to forget that they invited you to anything. I don't say anything. I don't ask them, where am I meeting you? What time? I don't do any of that. I don't try to make arrangements. I just say nothing. And then they forget. Two days later, they come back and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I forgot. I'm such an asshole. And I'm like, no, you're totally fine. And I mean it. All you did was give me an excuse to not go anywhere. I do not take it personally if you forget me. And I also am willing to bullshit as to reasons why I can't do things, which is 
probably not the nicest thing to do, but I, I fall back on, I gotta work, work came up. I do work things. I gotta, I gotta do the work. But I also, sometimes I will just throw things out there too that I'm like, no, might not necessarily be true today, but if I go and socialize today, it probably will be true tomorrow. And I'll just be like, no, I'm really overwhelmed emotionally and mentally, and I'm just exhausted and drained. And I just can't, I don't have it in me to do it today. And that may not be true that day, but I'm like, no, this is still truth because this is just future me. Well, I think with that, I mean, if you really don't want to go with that person and they keep asking you or something like that, you can also just like start having fun with it and deny it for random reasons. Like, oh, when is that? Monday? No, I've got a community college vet class. We actually have uh, cow colonoscopies scheduled for that day. Yeah, they call them uh, cow colonoscopies. So definitely can't miss that. Thanks, though. It's yeah, just come up with shit. Throw it out there for fun. Just come up with things. You're so much more creative than I am. I'm so boring. <laughs> I am such a boring person. I just like work, work all the time. Work, mental health problems, work, having a nervous breakdown well, because of work. <laughs> well, at least all that's actually believable. I don't think anybody's going to buy my colonoscopies, but maybe they would. I don't know. If you say <laughs> it with enough authority and you use statistics. <laughs> 73% of people are not trained to the degree they need to be on colonoscopy. No, yes. <laughs> Four percent of cows have admitted that they like having it done. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that's actually true. That one I actually read that. <laughs> so yes, there's a lot of if you're super desperate, you can just get down to it. And of course, the last super desperate thing is just literally, like Ivy said, avoid it, get out of it, don't do it, cancel. Uh, set up the phone call from a friend or set your own alarm that sounds like a ringtone to get you out after a while. Those are all desperate things that you can do to pretty much just avoid the situation. Not going to solve your social anxiety, but sometimes, some days you're not looking at solving. Some days you're just looking at surviving. And I, I will say finding a, a, a partner to help you avoid things is very useful as well. Autumn and I have routinely used each other over the years as an excuse to get out of things. I can't. My sister's having a nervous breakdown. I have to be there for her. Oh, yeah. And that's especially great for intimate partners and anything related to work. You know, where they're like, oh, can you work overtime this weekend? Oh, I can't. Uh, yeah, I had this thing with my boyfriend. Or, hey, do you want to come to this party, you and your boy? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, he's sick. I was going to stay home and take care of him. I totally, all the time, I'm like, yeah, just use me. Use me as an excuse. I yeah. can have polio. I can have an STD. I can have a nervous breakdown. Whatever you need. Do you want me to be a bitch? She's like, oh, I'd love to hang out. But my girlfriend, she's such a bitch. She's so jealous. I can't leave the house. Okay, I'll be that. I'm never going to meet this person. I don't care. Make me whatever you want. Yeah, I'm I'm always happy to be somebody else's excuse as well. I'm totally fine with that because I get the, the strong desire to get out of social obligations. I will take the bullet. I am happy to be that for you. So if you can, you can find yourself a partner in crime. That's that can definitely be a, a helpful desperation move for sure. Or putting things off too. That's another helpful desperation move. You just like keep pushing it further and further forward until people get tired of rescheduling things with you. That's another thing you can do. I do that sometimes. It's pretty effective. It's just like, oh shit, I can't today. Can we reschedule for next week? And the next week comes and you're just like, fuck, Matt, something else came up. Or oh god, now I'm sick. That's another way to get out of things. For people who are particularly persistent that you have no interest 
person being around, but you feel obligated to commit to something. You just keep pushing out further and further until it's no longer an issue, until they've lost interest. <laughs> it works. I'm telling you, it works. <laughs> all right. So with all the coping skills, and we've done some of the desperate moves you can also do, the last coping skill, though, is I think to plan for aftercare. So if you are a socially anxious person or you know you're going to go into a specific um, interaction that's going to be really anxiety provoking, plan for what's going to happen afterwards. If you know you're going to get a headache, you know you're going to be stressed, you know you're going to need recoup time, plan for that. You know, like I, I went out last night, Friday, because I knew I was going to need a couple days to recover. So this gives me Saturday and Sunday to recover. And so I just, I plan for that. You know, if somebody asked, hey, do you want to go out? And it was like a Wednesday night. No, I don't. Because I'm going to need an entire day at least to get over this. And I have to work tomorrow. So I don't care if I'm going to be back at the house by 7 p.m. That's not the point. The point is it takes me one to two days to, to deal with this. And so you have to plan for the aftercare. And, and that includes, for me, I knew I was probably going to have, have these headaches. And so I wouldn't have gone out and done what I did last night if I didn't have the medication I needed to make sure the headache wasn't going to happen. Okay, so in the previous episode, we talked about what anxiety is, what it looks like, what it feels like, all that kind of stuff. This episode, we've talked about different coping mechanisms. But now that we've kind of covered all of those bases, we want to give... Maybe some some resources that you can check out that you know might be helpful for you or at least help you feel not quite so alone or, or give you a good example of you know how how maybe to to accept or deal with or cope with your social anxiety as it were. So we're gonna give some pop culture references. One of my big ones, especially when it comes to social anxiety and social interactions is um, Amelie. It's actually a French film. A lot of people find it very arty. It, it is very it is very much a French film. So there's a lot of French stuff going on in there. But I, I like it. Because she's this very, very shy, very, very quiet person. And to me, she almost seems overwhelmed or intimidated by the life around her. Like, it just doesn't make sense to her. It's so different than what she is. But she still wants to make connections with people. And I love this because, like, most most stories are going to be like, and she learned to love herself and stepped out and opened her voice and everything was great. And that's not what this movie is. What Amelie is, is she finds kind of subversive ways to make connections. She looks at all the people around her and sees what they want and what they need. And she finds ways to quietly meet those needs and encourage the connections that they have with other people. And she ends up actually finding this gentleman and she wants to have a connection with him. And she ends up kind of playing this game with him. And I don't know if it's out of fear or out of difference. It's kind of open to your interpretation. Um, but because she was playing that game and because she was kind of subversive and not so direct, she did find somebody that actually liked her and meshed with her. And a lot of the other people also actually liked her. And she was able to develop these connections, even though she was not able to walk up and shake someone's hand or open that conversation. She still found a way to connect with other human beings while continuing to be shy and underspoken and not direct. And so I really like that about Amelie, that it's not the traditional overcoming story. One other note I'd like to add about Amelie, that is, that's one of my favorite films of all time. And I find it really interesting how she ends up developing connections with people is by 
doing things to improve the state of their lives. Like the how she even ends up on that track as she finds in her in her apartment this little box that's full of all these mementos and she manages to track down the original owner of this box who you know the box belonged to a child obviously but that was you know decades ago so it's a grown man but in order for her to track this person down she has to put herself out there in certain ways she has to talk to people she wouldn't normally talk to but she's able to bring herself to do that because it's for a, a cause she's on a mission and and when she is able to reconnect the owner with this box and she doesn't do it face to face, she finds a creative way to get it to him anonymously, but seeing his reaction to that encourages her to want to do more acts of kindness. And she does these things anonymously, but because she's trying to find ways to improve, improve people's lives, it requires her to interact with people she wouldn't otherwise have interacted with. But because she's doing it, for a cause because she's on a mission, it's less intimidating for her because she's doing it for a reason. And as she's doing that and she interacts with these people to try to find this person or whatever, she ends up finding something that that person needs. So each person that she ends up talking to along the way, she finds whatever their need is and she finds a way to anonymously fulfill it. But at the same time, she forms connections. She has conversations with all of these people that previously she was completely isolated from, which, I think it's just a, a beautiful take and perspective on developing genuine human connections that it's not always just as simple as, well, you just go out to a bar and start talking to people. Sometimes it's, it requires a little bit more creativity than that. And I, I will go ahead and just speak to the next one I put on the list as well, because I know you're going to know fuck all nothing about this as well, because you I are never even heard of these people. Yes. Okay. You've never read Harry Potter. So I've, I've got no. on the list and you can hate on my sister all you want. I, I hate on her a little bit for it too. I put um, Neville Logbottom and Luna Lovegood on our list. And Ivy's like, I don't even know who these people are. So no, I don't, I, don't I, have, I have no interest in the Harry Potter series. Come at me. I don't care. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. I'm not interested, not interested too much pressure from all of my peers when those books came out to read them. And that just aggravates me. Anytime somebody tries too hard to make me like something, I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to do that. Now I don't want anything to do with it because you've ruined it. Maybe I would have liked it, but I can't now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So regardless of whether you like Harry Potter or not, um, I really feel that Neville Longbottom and Luna Lovegood are excellent, really almost role models in the idea of social anxiety and social exclusion, especially. Um, Neville Longbottom, I think, very much so more wants to belong and wants to connect, but he's this really awkward boy, and he just isn't able to. But as the circumstances unfold in Harry Potter, for those that have read it and know, Neville Longbottom is actually very much able to step up to the plate and step up to his own and be able to become the person he wants to be. And I think it's a really excellent story of growth for somebody to go from this awkward person to what is an essential part of the part of the hero in the end of the series i i would say um some people would debate with me but i do feel he is a hero in the end of the series and he really stepped up and i felt like that growth was very natural and it, it was just amazing to see that and luna lovegood for those that don't know she doesn't come in until very later in the series and she is very different her mother died when she was young. Her father raised her. And so she doesn't have a lot of the female aspects to begin with um, because, you know, the masculine figure raised her. And then on top of that, the father is a believer in all of these crazy things, even in the wizard. So, 
you know, equivalating that to ours, you know, he's a believer in flat earth, he's a believer in reptilians, he thinks that he's channeling archangels, all of these things that other people laugh at. And a lot of people do actively laugh at her and call her loony love good. And she just kind of floats through this in this sort of sad, happy acceptance of it. And I love Luna Lovegood for this because I feel like you you definitely pick up on the sadness and this wanting to belong and this wanting to have a connection because I think she really lost that with her mother and wanting to have those friends. But at the same time, refusing to be somebody just so she can be accepted. She continues to be weird. She continues to adhere to the beliefs that her father has. And she continues to be an eccentric, eccentric woman. But that's awesome because she still finds her friends. And I think at the end with that, the friends she does find and the group she does belong to, she actually honestly feels that belonging because she was able to be herself and she was still accepted for being it. And so I find that character, especially especially to me, so inspiring. The idea that, yes, you are different, but if you are committed to that difference and you are patient, it is possible that you could find a place to belong, even though you are unique and different and even despised by some people. I can get behind those concepts. I'm still not going to read Harry Potter. I'm going to be stubborn about that. But anyway... I also won't watch Game of Thrones. So yeah, fuck that series too. I know that's also going to bring me a lot of haters. But um, the other couple of resources that we have, I had a couple of songs uh, that I thought went well with this concept. One of them is one of my favorite songs and it's um, Pink's song, Fucking Perfect, which I feel like it's it's important not just to listen to the song, but also to watch the music video as well, because the entire concept behind this, the song is like how we we run ourselves ragged trying to fit these expectations that other people have, trying to fit in, trying to find our place, trying to be important to somebody, trying to find love, and all the things that we do that that sabotage us in that way um, and all the things that happen to us that cause us to sabotage ourselves. The message of that song is it's like, we've all been through some shit and you're going to feel broken and you're going to feel like nobody cares about you and you're going to feel like you don't fit, but don't think for a second that you are less than like you are fucking perfect just the way you are. So if you've not heard that song, you've not seen that music video, I would definitely suggest it. And we will be having that music video up on our resources page for this episode on the website if you do want to watch it. Uh, and then the other song is uh, Lady Gaga Hair. So this is from one of her earlier albums, Born This Way. And it's, I guess you could think of it as kind of a teenage anthem. But the idea behind it is it's this person who who wants desperately to be to belong, who wants desperately to be accepted, to be loved, to, to have approval and validation from people, but they are different and they know that they're different. They, they want to do all these crazy things with their hair and all these colors and these weird haircuts and stuff like that. And everybody kind of lashes out at them for it. Their, their parents cut their hair off or, you know, they, they find themselves kind of hiding behind this, this image that yes, it is authentically them, but they're also hiding behind it as like armor 
because they want people to accept them for who they are and they want to be free to be who they are but there's this fear that they can't be and they'll never be accepted for it so even though they are being authentic they're also using their authenticity is like an armor to protect them from the harshness of other people and also to protect them from from the sadness of not being accepted and the entire song is really about like learning to be liberated from those fears being able to be free knowing that you will be loved knowing that there are people out there who are willing to accept you even if that's not the norm even if a lot of other people in the mainstream may think of you as odd or weird continuing to be true to yourself and maybe it is armor for right now but just living with that hope that you know there are people out there like me there are people out there who will see me and i'm going to stay authentic i'm going to stay this way for when that happens and in the meantime i'm going to use my authenticity as an armor to protect me from the harshness of everybody else and, and i think that kind of brings us to to the last topic we wanted to dive in today and that's that when, when it comes to social anxiety i feel like what it is is it's often this teeter-totter between being authentic to yourself or fitting in with society and i feel this is very accurate for many of our listeners because after all this is the different functional podcast and most of you are tuning in and most of you are interested because you feel different or you know you are different and that is part of what is what drives that social anxiety like we talked about in our last episode is that you are different and you know it's going to be harder to interact and you know it's going to be harder to be accepted and so for a lot of us it is this teeter-totter between do I be authentic to myself or do I change who I am so that I can fit in and that is not something Ivy or I can tell you what the right decision is there is no right decision on that you you need to know what what you want to do and and i think that really begins with identifying what you're really looking for in, in a specific interaction so social anxiety of course runs through any social interaction whether it's the party or the dinner at the in-laws or the job interview and so when you look at any specific social interaction that you're going to be going into figure out what you want out of that situation start right there be like okay I'm going to a job interview. What am I hoping for? I'm going to this party at the in-laws. What am I hoping for? Whatever it is, say, what What do I want? And then divide, decide, you know, do I want to fit in? Is it more important that I fit in and get accepted? Or is it more important that I'm authentic to myself? And that's going to change dependent on the situation. It's also going to change dependent on where you are in your life. And, and a great example of this for me is job interviews. So the... The common thought is when it comes to a job interview, what you want is to fit in. And that is how I always answered questions. Whenever I went to a job interview, I was the ideal candidate. Whatever you wanted to know, I would be that for you. I gave the right answers. I did everything that was correct, even though I didn't believe any of it and I thought it was all bullshit. I knew what to say and so I said it. And every job interview I had, I was offered the job. What I came to realize over time though was that I hated 
all of these jobs. And so when I started going into interviews, I started being more authentic, not like openly, totally authentic where I'm just, you know, flashing my vagina and saying fuck all the time. Not that I usually flash my vagina, but I'm just saying I'm not being that like open. I don't know where that analogy came from. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good one to me. If you're throwing tea in my vagina and you're flashing your own. I am very confused. I did not know you were this sexually liberated. <laughs> okay. So anyways, um, but I wasn't like super, super authentic. I wasn't like everything on my sleeve. I didn't go in with my, you know, my, my trauma history, but I did start being more authentic. And so when they asked me questions where I could be honest about who I was or honest about what I wanted, I started doing that. And I actually ended up with a job that I liked for many, many years because I was willing to be authentic in that situation. I, I put a risk out there that they were going to deny me. And once I started doing this, I did not get offered every job. There was a lot more interviews where I got turned down and they didn't want to hire me. But because I was authentic, I found a better fit for myself. And so it was a balance for me that I moved away from sacrificing who I was to fit in and get accepted at a job into being more authentic of myself so that I could hopefully find a connection in the workforce that would fit for me. And, and you've got to, when you look at that, you look at each specific situation, you look at each specific interaction, and you have to decide, you know, how important is it to you? how important is it to you to fit in or how important is it to you to be authentic to who you are? And that's probably a compromise you're going to have to make. And it may be one you're never really fully, totally happy with. It's like with anything else. I mean, there's always a balance to everything and you're probably not going to get everything that you want. Sometimes you have to make those compromises. And that's, I have, I have gone pretty fucking far out of my way to not have certain types of social expectations on me, like using career as an example. I've had plenty of opportunities to be in different fields, but I chose not to because I hated it. Like I, I took the reason why my first job was at a jail. My first full-time job was at a jail. Why? Because I had zero interest in working retail or being wait staff because I don't like people enough for that. I'm not good with customer service and I would not emotionally be able to handle it. It would be so draining for me. So I intentionally took a job out of jail so that I could avoid having a customer service job. I did not want to wait tables. I did not want to work in retail. I have shaped my life around being able to be authentic to myself in the context of my work environment. I know I'm, I would not want a customer service job. I know I don't want to be in the corporate world. I ended up being a massage therapist in the weirdest fucking way. A lot of people who go into massage therapy, it's because, you know, they're very touchy-feely people. I am not fucking touchy-feely at all. I don't like people touching me. I'm actually touch-aversive. Um, I do like helping people, but a big part of the reason why I chose massage therapy was it's not a typical nine to five. You have a lot of flexibility in this field. You can choose your working hours. You can choose your clients a lot of times. You can eventually go private practice and then you have even more control over it. And my interactions with people are one-on-one. -on -one. I don't deal with groups of people. I don't have to you know, dress up business casual every day the rules are different. When you are a massage therapist, the kind of work that you're doing already has a degree of intimacy to it. So people are, in general, they're more comfortable being more authentically themselves in that scenario because there's already a level of vulnerability there. And there's also plenty of people that just sleep through a massage and there's not a lot of external stimuli. 
it's it's pretty calm it's pretty chill like it's i have gone very far out of my way to find a career that fit with what i'm with what i'm capable of from a social standpoint that was a huge part of me choosing the field that i'm in but there are sacrifices and compromises to go with that am i ever going to make big bucks doing this no probably not there's probably a handful of massage therapists that make a shit ton of money but there's not going to be very many i make enough to get by and put a little into savings and i'm okay with that that's a sacrifice i'm willing to make that's part of balance is finding that middle point, finding the spot where the scales, you know, they they weigh out about evenly. And you decide what's more important to you. And for me, what was more important was not being depressed and anxious and stressed out all the time because of work. This job is hard on my body. It's not great for my for my bank account, but I'm happier. I have I feel like I have more control over my life. I feel like the social interactions that I have are more meaningful. You know, what's what's important to you? How much of yourself are you willing to give up in order to fit in or in order to make that paycheck or whatever? And there is no right or wrong answer. This is not a space where we're going to be like, well, this is you know the only right way to be or whatever. You have to make that decision for you. You know, decide also like how much of this is just a pragmatic consideration. I don't really like these big social situations. I don't like having to be a sales executive and dealing with all these people and traveling all the time, but having that financial stability and security is really important to me. That's fine. That's, that's not a wrong answer, but make sure that you're actually thinking about what matters to you, what things are important to you and how you want to strike that balance in your own life. And that goes beyond just, you know, the career choice, because we were really hammering on that. That also just goes into your personal life as well. You know, if you're going to dinner at the in-laws, okay, well, where is the balance? Do you want to be authentic and accepted only for who you are completely 100%? Or is this something you only do once a year and you just want to keep the peace and you want your, your spouse to be happy and you want them to be happy and so you smile and you pretend a little bit and you put on a different mask? That's a question you have to ask. And a big part of that is going to be how socially driven are you? Because like Ivy and I said in the last episode, we're not that socially driven. We're not rewarded that way. So for us, it's easier to be like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just be authentic. Screw the social reward. Other people do not have that luxury. The socialization is so important to their stability they're going to have to to bend a lot more. And ideally, I would think you would want to find a situation where you could be yourself as much as possible and be accepted. But I also know feeling like an alien like I do, it's, it's not always a reality. You know, it is an ideal, but I have not found a place where I can be 100% authentic in a group and be part of that group. I have not. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I haven't found it. And so there is the ideal, but there is a reality and you're going to have to decide which way you're on. And if you are on the socialization side, you're like, you know, socialization is the priority. I need to be accepted. I need to do that. I'm just going to put out there. One of the things you're going to need to learn to do then is you're going to need to learn to deal with rejection because if connection is super important for you, you you're going to get rejected some of the time. And, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you don't jive with other people, but you're going to have to prepare for that and be like, okay, I really need the connection. I'm going to open myself up. I'm going to change a little bit. I'm going to try to get this connection. I may got shot down. What do I need to do if I get shot down? How do I take care of myself if that happens? How do I get back up? Yeah. One of the, the 
most valuable things that I've been learning from Calvin in the time that we've been together because he is so socially adept and I'm always in awe of just how easy it is for him. But that's one of the things that he he always says. He's like, yeah, it's easy for me because I don't care if I get rejected because not everybody's going to like you. So if that person doesn't like you, you just cut your losses and then you move on and you talk to somebody else because sooner or later you're going to find people that you have common interests with that do want to have you around. And that's, I think, one of the the really valuable lessons, especially for people who are very socially driven and they desperately want that acceptance and they are people pleasers that can be there can be that part of you that takes it really really personally when somebody doesn't like you and you feel the need to fix that but it's not always something that needs to be fixed sometimes it's just you're not going to jive with that person you're coming from different places you you have completely different ways of looking at things you're not going to have enough common interests you're going to have conflicting ideology or whatever and it's fine not everybody has to get along it's just live and let live. You know, if somebody doesn't, doesn't connect with you, you don't have to fix anything. You don't necessarily have to change yourself unless there's some other incentive there, but don't do it just because, Oh, this person doesn't like me. I guess that means I'm a bad person because that's not it at all. Not everybody's going to like you. Just keep moving on. Keep talking to people. Keep putting yourself out there. Eventually you will find people that you connect with. You may not ever find a, a group of people that you connect with, and that may not even be important to you, but you can form meaningful connections with at least a couple of people out there. And the more you put yourself out there, the more likely you are to develop meaningful connections with more people and maybe eventually build, build a community around yourself if that's what you're looking for, if socialization is really important to you. And, and on the other side of that, if socialization is not as important and what's more important to you is being authentic, you're also going to have to be aware that rejection is going to happen and you're going to have to really start developing that thick skin. Because if you decide that you want to be really into cosplay and you live in rural Virginia and you want to go to Walmart in your cosplay outfit, you're going to get laughed at. You're going to get looked at. You're going to get judged. And there's going to be rejection. And that's not saying you should change, but you also need to be aware it's going to happen. And, and you, in, in the case where you want to be authentic over being accepted, you're going to have to build that thicker skin. You don't have to put yourself out there as much because it doesn't matter but be aware that it's going to happen. And you're really going to have to start prioritizing who you are over anything else. And I would really advise looking for, you know, just a couple close connections. If you're looking at being super authentic and unwilling to change, don't look at pleasing the world. Look at finding one or two kindred spirits. You know, they could be online, they could be in real life. Find somebody that has your interests, find somebody that has your ideals that you can be open and authentic with, because the likelihood is you're not going to be globally accepted. And and I hate to say that, but it, it's true. And some of these things we don't have choices over. You know, maybe it's a religion that we are unwilling to compromise about. Maybe it is our race that we cannot physically change. And so we will be discriminated against because of it. You're not going to get global acceptance. But you can find people or possibly even small communities that will accept you. you know, if you are super interested in Civil War reenactment, you'll find a community. Just don't expect everybody everywhere to give a fuck about Civil War reenactment. And, and just expect that you're still probably going to be anxious in a lot of social interactions. But it's going to be worth the cost. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be who you are. And that's going to be more meaningful to you you'll find what works for you. And if you find there is a deep divide between 
how you are in a social situation and how you want to be. You know, if you are very, very much like, I want to be authentic, but I'm so scared to upset people. Or I really, really want to be accepted, but I just am so overwhelmed with anxiety. If there's this huge divide, then I would really recommend getting outside resources. And I mean, this could be something, you know, official like therapy, if that anxiety is completely overwhelming. If it's just a matter of, you know, learning to be more authentic or learning how to interact, life coaching. You know, they can help you learn how to just even interact. Also, public speaking groups. There's tons out there where you can learn to speak in front of public. And that's not the same as a one-on-one -on -one interaction. But when you start getting familiar with people staring you down and you can open your mouth and speak, <laughs> I, I think that's a really good one. Yeah. And I would also say, like, if you're... If you are prepared to go balls to the wall to really go after your social anxiety, I would personally never do this. Honestly, the idea of this terrifies me, but maybe join an, an improv theater group because then there are no rules really. Everybody's just spitballing it and they teach you how to come up with things. They teach you how to, to come up with topics on the fly. Like you learn a lot of things and you're interacting with people in this way that's a lot lower pressure because there's there's not the usual social expectations. And I would also even suggest maybe um, taking classes in a different language because then everybody's kind of starting out at a, at a weird space where it's just, you're having very, very basic conversations because everybody's learning this language. Everybody's gonna be awkward with it. And so you're learning it in, in an environment where it's lower pressure because you're all kind of starting out from the same space. So that might be another way to kind of tackle your social anxiety. And that can also help you build communities too, because you never know, you might join that improv theater group and now you've made friends with these people because you've said a lot of awkward, intimidating, you know, funny things to each other, or outrageous things. And all of a sudden you become friends with somebody who lost their erection and now they want your number. <laughs> Or who throws tea at you from vagina and then flashes their own. <laughs> I, I think at the end of it, though, um, just just know that there is hope and there are there are options. Like you have a choice, not necessarily in changing your anxiety. I'm not like you just choose to turn it off, but you have a choice in that authenticity, authenticity versus fitting in. You have a choice in where you are at in that interaction. And there are also resources out there to help you learn some of the skills if you don't have them or to help change some of the things that you would like to change about yourself. And if you are different and you're listening to us because you're different, I do say hold out hope. It can be very, very, very difficult to find someone or someone's that you can connect with because all of our differences are very different from one another. And our society is so much ununiform. It, it's just such a struggle. And so if you are one of those people that just wants to connect and just wants to belong and you're having so much trouble with it, I do say just hold on to hope. They are out there. It's going to be harder to find them, but you will. Just keep working at it and you will find that place that you belong. Even if it's just with one other person on the face of the planet, you will find a place to belong. Yeah, and, and just always remember too that being different doesn't mean defective. That is our tagline for a reason. And we, we want to remind you of that. Always remember that. Have that in your mind throughout the day. Being different does not make you defective. And the people that are worth 
connecting with, they won't see you as defective. They'll celebrate your differences because it's part of you and they're interested in you and they care about you and your authenticity matters to them and they love that about you. And that's going to be it for our episode today. So I'll give you our pluggables on our way out here. You can find us on Facebook and uh, Instagram and TikTok is different functional. On both Instagram and TikTok, it's going to be different underscore functional. And then on Twitter, you can find us at diff, D-I-F-F underscore functional. You can also find us at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. And if you are interested in, in any of the resources that we shared today, make sure that you head on over to that website. There will be a link in the show notes for you to access it. And you can take a look at those resources. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us in, uh, in getting better at doing this and having better equipment and doing more exciting, fun things, you can join us over on Patreon. We are on, on Patreon as Different Functional, and we have lots of fun things lined up over there for our patrons. So you can take a look at that, too. And I think we can call it a day. Yes. Thank you all for listening. And as always, remember... Different does not mean defective. Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs>